find 1 Peter in your Bibles. Ivadi read that for us a moment ago. I want to bring a message to you this morning entitled, Our Blessed Hope. Our Blessed Hope. If you would, find 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be looking this morning at uh, verses 3 through 12. And then by way of application at the end, I want to point out some things in the second half of the chapter. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? And since he's read our text down through verse 12, I just want to read uh, uh, verses 3 and 4 and 5, just a couple of verses right here at the beginning. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for saving us in the fact that 1 Peter 1.3 tells us that the just died for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection and what that means every day in our lives. We know that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We thank you that we're not alone in life. And so, God, I pray that you would be with those in the church right now who are going through trying circumstances, maybe events in their lives that have them discouraged, possibly an illness or a job loss or whatever it may be. Lord, remind them that you live and you're at the right hand of the Father and you're making intercession for us. We're grateful for that. Again, we celebrate the fact that you're risen from the dead. Help us to live in light of your risen power day in and day out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we came into the services this morning, I checked on the news. And as far as I know, unless the count has gone up, there are 207 that are now dead in at least three church bombings in a Muslim country today on Easter Sunday. Folks, we have no idea what some around the globe face. We know that we are living in a fallen world, and in a fallen world, the Bible tells us that we will have trials and tribulations. You might even be in the midst of a trial or tribulation even now as we gather here this morning. But folks, the believer in Jesus knows that because of Christ's resurrection, we are promised a power that is greater than any power we have on our own, and we are promised that one day we too shall be raised. There's more to this life than what this world can offer. You and I have a blessed hope. 
Now today as we look at the triumph of Jesus Christ over the grave, we celebrate the fact that He lives and we sing that well-known hymn. The hymn says, Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He lives. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity would simply have to take a place alongside all of the other religions and philosophies in the world. It's like what Dr. John MacArthur says. He says, just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would have nothing more than a hollow hope. But we don't have a hollow hope. We have a blessed hope. We have a blessed hope. After all, what would the cross mean without the resurrection? If this life is all there is, and when you die, you die, then the cross in and of itself didn't really save us from anything eternal. You see, the empty tomb completes what Jesus did at the cross. And so today I want us to look at our Christian hope, a hope that is not only for now, but a hope that is beyond anything in this world. I hope you have that blue copy of the Sermon Notes page. If you do, first of all, follow along with me. I want you to see, first of all, that the resurrection of Jesus should cause us to praise God because of the hope that we now possess. Notice how Peter begins here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says that we are to praise God. We are to bless God because we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today, do you have hope? Have you lost hope? We know this world can take away our hope if we're not careful. Story after story of evil and suffering in the world pours across our news feeds every single day. And folks, it makes you realize that regardless of what age you are, regardless of what station you have in life, there is no permanent hope to be found in this world. Because life is like a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. And what that means is that if if our hope were in this life only, we would all be in deep, deep trouble. But Peter is talking here about a hope that does not die. He's talking about a hope that goes on even far beyond the grave. He's talking about a hope that reaches into eternity. And he's talking about a hope that nothing in this world can diminish one bit. Amen? This is the kind of hope that Jesus Christ gives. And it's the kind of hope that ought to cause God's people to praise Him. 
And that's what he tells us to do here in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word blessed here is the word that literally means that that is the word in the Greek text from which we get our word eulogy. Now, you know what it is to eulogize somebody, to go to a funeral and have a eulogy before the message. In the eulogy, what you're doing is you're praising the person. You're talking about their life and all of the goodness in life and all the memories you have. And you're saying something good about them. You're praising them for the example that they set. Well, he's saying that Christians need to eulogize God. We need to bless God. He's probably using the tradition here out of Jewish life, the Jewish tradition of the 18 blessings. They had 18 blessings divided throughout the day for the morning blessing, the afternoon blessing, and the evening blessing. There were 18 benedictions that were blessings to God. And normally... In Jewish tradition, in these benedictions, they were blessing God because of the fact that He is our Creator, which He certainly is. But what Peter is doing here is he's saying we are to bless God because He's not only our Creator, but He is also our Redeemer. And look at what he's done. He says here, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You remember what Jeremiah the prophet once said? He once asked a rhetorical question in Jeremiah 13. He said, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard change his spots? And the analogy that he was given was intended to point out that as human beings unaided by divine intervention cannot change anything about our nature, we certainly cannot do anything on our own about our sin nature. We have all sinned by nature and by choice. And as we looked at last week, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And under that, in that state, we are under the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, has seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We looked at that last week. The Father has caused us to be born again. Our salvation is not rooted in the merit of man, but in the mercy of God. Paul says in Ephesians 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, the salvation message and Easter go hand in hand. Because through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, Peter is saying here, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. You see, a dead Savior would be unable to save. 
Folks, think with me a moment. What if our gospels closed like this? You remember what is told in Matthew 27. It says, when Joseph had taken down the body of Jesus from the cross, he wrapped Jesus' body in in linen cloths and he laid Jesus in a new tomb which he had dug out of the rock and they rolled a large stone in front of the door of the tomb And they walked away. They departed. Now what if that was the end of the New Testament? That'd be sad. That'd be tragic. Because it would mean that we do not have a Savior who can really save us from anything. But that's not the end of the New Testament. That's not the end of the Gospels. Because three days later, what happened? He arose from the dead. Because he arose from the dead, God gives us the new birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, without the resurrection, there's no Savior. Without a Savior, no forgiveness. Without forgiveness, no justification. Without justification, no cleansing. Without cleansing, it would mean that you're still in your sin and the penalty of your sin is still upon you. If you take the resurrection out of Christianity, you might as well take the beating heart out of a man's chest. I thank God that I don't preach about some dead man that's in a mausoleum or a museum somewhere. I remember the story I read one time about a missionary in northern India. He was out preaching in the open marketplace and he was preaching the gospel. And when he got done, a Muslim gentleman walked up to him and said, Sir, you must admit we as Muslims have one thing that you Christians don't have. The missionary said, Okay, I'm listening. What is it? The Muslims said, you know, when we go to Mecca, we at least find a coffin with a body in it. But you Christians, when you go to Jerusalem, which is your Mecca, you find nothing but an empty grave. Amen. That, well said. That, that's the difference right there, right? That makes all the difference in the world. Jesus' bones are not in a tomb. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. That's what we celebrate. Notice again what Peter says. He's saying that God offers you the opportunity of salvation by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through Christ, we can be born again. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Maybe you need to be born again. Maybe you need that fresh start in your life. That spiritual birth from above that only God can do. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus about that? He said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. And I think about the Apostle Paul, how he experienced that. And he wrote about it later. In writing to the Philippians... In Philippians chapter 3, he gave a resume in chapter 3 about all of the good he had done in his life. He had accomplished this and he had accomplished that. In fact, he had excelled above all of his colleagues. But he said, everything that was gained to me I now count as loss for the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. 
He found a new beginning in Christ. God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. Paul was born again. God changed his life. Is that what you need this morning? You need to ask God that he would bring about the new birth in you if that's what you need this morning. You see, that's something that that not even going to church and church membership can take care of. That is something that only the Spirit of the living God can do in your life. Secondly, I want you to see with me this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that he provides us with a guaranteed inheritance. Read with me verse 4 and verse 5. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The key word in these verses right here is the word inheritance. Inheritance. The word inheritance is a word that harkens back to the Old Testament. You remember what happened when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and He led them through the wilderness? And because of their sin and disobedience, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But after 40 years, under Joshua, God said, Okay, it's time for you to go in and possess the promised land. And they, they were to cross the Jordan River and to go in and begin taking possession of the land. And God gave to each of the 12 tribes of Israel a portion, an inheritance of the land. But you remember what happened. Because of sin, their inheritance was affected. The Assyrians came in and overran the ten northern tribes. After Israel became the divided kingdom between north and south, ten tribes up north, Israel, two tribes down south, Judah, the Assyrians came in and overran the northern tribes because of their sin and idolatry. And then in the southern kingdom, they were taken away into captivity by the Babylonians for 70 years. In other words, their inheritance was affected. Affected by their sin. But Peter wants us to know that you and I have an inheritance in Christ that nothing in this world can ever take away or diminish in any way. We have a better inheritance than anything they enjoyed in the Old Testament. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Some of the world's greatest inheritance, if you can believe it or not, have actually gone to animals. Oprah Winfrey has five dogs and as an inheritance she's decided to leave them $30 million. Michael Jackson, before he passed away, he had a chimpanzee. He left his chimpanzee $2 million. But the greatest inheritance of all to an animal is that left by a woman, uh, Coletta Liebenstein. She's left her German shepherd $80 million. 
But maybe the strangest inheritance of all comes from that of baseball great and Hall of Famer Ted Williams. Ted Williams has left his children as an inheritance, his body. He had his body frozen. And the hopes that maybe one day through science he can be brought back to life. And today his children are fighting over the inheritance of, their bo- of the body of their dad. Some want to keep him frozen. And one child wants to have him cremated and his ashes spread in the Florida Keys. Which was one of his last requests. And so they're fighting over the inheritance of their dad's body. I'm sorry, that's just weird. (laughs) Peter wants us to know about our inheritance. And first of all, he talks about the identity of it. What is the identity of our inheritance? Well, it's the heavenly home that Jesus is preparing for us. Remember what he said to his disciples in John 14? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Folks, we have a heavenly home waiting on us. Heaven is a real place, and Jesus is preparing a special place for each of those who are his children. That's your inheritance if you're in Christ. And then in addition to that, there is the resurrection body. We're going to have a new resurrected body in a new place called heaven. That's the identity of our coming inheritance, our future inheritance. But Peter doesn't want us just to know about the identity of it, but also the character of it. Look at what he begins saying in verse 4. He points out that it can never perish, it never dies. The word incorruptible here means it is imperishable, nothing can destroy it. He goes on to say it can never spoil, it can never be corrupted, it is undefiled, nothing can ever tarnish it. Every day, we see the effects of sin on this world. We live in a world that Romans 8 says is groaning. And we're groaning because of sin. We live after the fall, which took place in Genesis chapter 3. And because of that, bad things happen to people every day. Earthquakes, tsunamis. Cancer, heart disease, all kinds of tragedies happen. But Peter wants us to know if you're a child of God, you've got a future inheritance that nothing can ever tarnish it in any way. For now, these bodies wear out. They're subject to disease and death and injury. But one day... We're going to get a new body and a new home. 
Peter, uh, uh, Kevin read, not from Peter, but from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. He, uh, and 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So you've got a glorious inheritance and nothing can ever cause it to fade or diminish or tarnish in any way. Folks, isn't that wonderful? All of this Peter is saying is possible because of the resurrection of the dead. A glorious inheritance. Things in this world can happen to our earthly inheritances. I was just reading yesterday about the great train robbery of 1963 that took place in England. A gang of 15 raided a train and without a single gun, they made off with the equivalent in today's money of 40 million British pounds. Now that's slightly more than 52 million American dollars. But they got caught because they decided to stop off at a country, in the countryside at a farmhouse and they wanted to play the game of Monopoly with the money. They wiped the house clean of fingerprints, but they did not wipe their fingerprints off of the ketchup bottle or off of the game of Monopoly. And so authorities got their fingerprints, traced it back to them, and caught them. But again, I want you to see the contrast what Peter is saying here. We have a heavenly inheritance A heavenly inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It is reserved for you. And not only is your inheritance reserved for you, but he goes on to say, you are reserved for your inheritance. God is working to protect your inheritance. And God is protecting you for your inheritance. He's at work at both ends. That's the security that we have in Jesus Christ. You see what God produces, God protects. What God gives, God guards. What God commences, God completes. We can believe in the preservation of the saints because we believe in the perseverance of the Savior. I like what the Apostle Paul says about this. Read it with me up on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul says, For I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. That's good news, folks. That's good news. And again, it's made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Third thing I want you to see with me this morning. The resurrection means that you have life and hope that outweigh trials. Look at verse uh, 6 through 9. He says beginning in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... 
you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know what Peter's wanting us to understand here? Peter is wanting us to understand here that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, earthly trials do not have the last say-so in your life. Folks, we need to understand that the people to whom Peter wrote were going through deep trials. Life was hard for them in the first century in the Roman Empire as Christians. We understand very little today about what they went through. You see, the Jewish faith was protected in the Roman Empire. But Christianity was not. And then on top of that, when Jews became Christians, a lot of times their Jewish brothers and sisters would persecute them heavily. Just read through the book of Acts and you can see wherever Paul went preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, the Jews stirred up the mobs and the authorities against Paul. They went through tremendous persecution as Christians. Take, for example, what the Roman Emperor Nero would do to the early Christians. He would, he would turn them loose in the Colosseum there in Rome, the huge Colosseum. He would turn Christians loose on the floor of the Colosseum and have wild beasts come and tear them to shreds. The population would watch this for sport the way we would go and see an NFL game. They would go to the Coliseum. And they would have all the gladiator fights and that sort of thing. And then part, as part of that, they would turn Christians loose and they would have wild beasts like lions come and tear them to shreds while the crowd cheered. Then Nero had beautiful gardens at his palace. And he would take Christians and he would dip them while they were alive. He would dip them in a tar-like substance. And he would tie them on the poles. And he would stand the pole up and he would light them on fire to be lights in his beautiful, in his beautiful gardens at night. Folks, that's what the early Christians went through. So when Peter says some of you are going through fiery trials, that's, he's not using metaphorical language. They were literally going through fiery trials. You might be going through a trial today. Might be cancer, heart disease, might be a job loss, might be a child or a grandchild that is absolutely breaking your heart. You know what the Bible is saying here? That trial does not have the last say-so in your life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do trials hurt? Yes. 
And God doesn't come rushing in and save us from every trial we go through in life. In fact, the Bible says here that God has a purpose in many of the trials that we go through because He is growing our faith and He's conforming us to the image of Christ. And so if you're in a trial, you need to trust God and you need to let God do what God wants to do. But that trial does not have the last say-so in your life. Now folks, normally when we preach on this text right here on Easter Sunday, we close our Bibles and we stop right here. But God showed me something this week. The second half of this chapter that begins at verse 13. He's giving us commands that grow out of what he's just said about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see in the first 12 verses he's been telling us what God gives to us. The blessings that God gives to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But beginning in verse 13 and going through the end of the chapter, he's telling them what they are to do in light of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, he's saying we have the strength to be able to do this. Now I'm not going to read all this, but I do want to point out what he's talking about. Because of the resurrection, he's saying in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the revelation that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's telling us here that we need to prepare our minds for action as a result of the resurrection. Because we're going to encounter a culture who does not understand our faith. They don't understand what we believe. And so we need to prepare our minds so that we can engage with this culture. I love the book that we're reading right now in the men's ministry here in our small groups, a book by Kent Hughes, The Disciplines of a Godly Man, because in one of those chapters, Kent Hughes is talking about how men in churches today need to prepare their minds for action. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. You need to prepare your mind for action to engage with this dark culture that we live in today. And he's saying because of the resurrection of Jesus, Christ from the dead you have one living in you now who will help you do that and so you need to get busy and love God with your mind as Jesus said to do in Matthew 22 Peter goes on to say here, you need to be sober-minded. He's not talking about alcohol here. It is a word that simply referred to a, a level of seriousness in our lives. There needs to be a level of seriousness in our lives because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to take our faith very seriously and realize that everything about Christ, the resurrection of Christ, is now to define who we are we belong to him and so with every fiber of our being we are to live for him 
He goes on to say here, we're not to conform to this world. The world is passing away, but because of the resurrection, you're not. And so you don't need to blend in with a world that is passing away. You need to be more like Jesus who gives you life. You need to be holy. And you need to live in fear of God, he says. You see, if the judge is dead, you can't hold court. But the judge is not dead, and we're all going to have to face him one day. And so we need to live in fear and in, in anticipation of that. And then finally, he says here, we're to live with a passionate love toward one another. In the body of Christ, we're to love each other with a genuine love out of our hearts. Folks, you see what he's doing in the last half of the chapter? In the first half of the chapter, he's saying this is what God's done in your life through the resurrection. The second half of the chapter, he's saying what's your responsibility that grows out of the resurrection? Here's how you're to respond. Here's how you're to respond to the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and you have new life in him. You are to live differently now. Folks, God help us if the world looks at us and they don't see any difference in Christians. Because of a living Lord who has taken up residence in our lives through the power of His Holy Spirit, there is to be a difference in my life and in your life. And it is to be a visible difference that even the world can see. Because it is through us that God intends to reach a lost world now. I want to say to you this morning, if you do not personally know Christ, you don't have resurrection life living in you. You don't have the assurance of heaven. And you need to come to Christ today. And that's something that church attendance and church membership alone cannot and will not do for you. You need that spiritual birth from above that only God can do. Ask Him to do that in your life. If you've already had that experience of the new birth, then anything you go through in this life right now, any trial you go through, guess what? He's greater than that trial and He can bring you through on the other side. He won't save you from it, but He will take you through it and do something wonderful in your life through it that you can't see now, but you'll see one day. And so you need to trust Him. And then because of His resurrected power living in you, you need to prepare to engage with this culture. Prepare your minds. Be sober. Don't be conformed to this world. Be holy and live in love. Live in such a way that the world will look at you and me and they'll know that our Savior lives when they see Him living in us and the way He's changed us. Reinhold Niebuhr, a skeptic, said one time, if you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you need to look a little more redeemed. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we need to look a little more redeemed.
Martin Luther was that great reformer of the 16th century, the father of Lutheranism. He was prone to bouts of depression. On one occasion, he was laying in his bed in a bout of depression, and his wife Catherine walked in in all black with the veil over her face like she was going to a funeral. And Martin Luther said, Katie, what are you doing? She said, Martin, I'm going to a funeral. And he said, who died? She said, Martin, have you not heard? God has died. He said, Katie, hush your mouth. That's blasphemous. She said, I know, dear husband, but why don't you quit living like God has died? Because he's risen from the dead, you and I need to quit living like God is dead. Because he's alive. Amen? He's alive. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the life of the Lord Jesus. He's gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. And one of these days, he's coming back for his bride. And Lord, he dwells in us now through the power of his spirit. So I pray that the resurrected life of Christ would be visible in us, his children. That we would go through trials with our eyes firmly on him. That we would prepare our hearts and minds to be able to witness of His saving grace in this age in which we live. Lord, thank you that you have hemmed us in on every side by your victorious power. We might live in a dark world, but we are not defeated if we're in Christ. Because we have the victory that's in Jesus Christ our Lord. Remind us of that as we walk out of the church this Easter Sunday. That your life would be visible in us every single moment of every single day. Thank you for this blessed hope that you've given us through Christ our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.